Matthew chapter 5 in your Bibles tonight. Matthew chapter 5. For the last several weeks, not including last Sunday night when we were having our outdoor evening service, but the two Sunday nights prior to that, we were looking at the Beatitudes, and we didn't even get into the content necessarily of the Beatitudes themselves. And so tonight, we're going to focus our attention on Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 3, Matthew 5 verse 3, and a sermon that I've titled, Poor in Spirit, Poor in Spirit. So tonight, we, we look at the Beatitudes themselves. Uh, it's worth noting that the Beatitudes are just a small portion of Christ's full Sermon on the Mount, which stretches all the way through chapter 7 of Matthew. And it's also worth noting, again, that these Beatitudes have nothing to do with how a person is saved, but rather describe the characteristics that the saved person should possess. So keep that in the back of your minds throughout the study, because... It can be incredibly confusing if you start thinking that here in Matthew chapter 5, Christ is describing the plan of salvation in these verses uh, rather than what the saved individual should look like. As we began looking at the message as a whole a couple weeks ago, I mentioned that it helps to look at the Beatitudes almost like a ladder. I, I also mentioned that as we look at it as a ladder, we are at the same time ascending up the ladder, but also descending down the ladder. And we briefly described uh, what that looks like a couple weeks ago. So looking at the ascending up the ladder for a moment, the ladder is only of use to us if we take the first step, which is the one closest to the ground, or else Short or feeble climbers will never be able to, to make that first step. And so there's a first step at the ladder for a reason. There's a reason why Christ starts where he does here in verse number three with the poor in spirit, uh, as opposed to starting somewhere else like those that are pure in heart or the peacemakers. Uh, the one at the bottom of the ladder doesn't claim to be an expert uh, while he can only reach the bottom step of the ladder, but he needs to start there and just work his way up. I probably shared about my friend growing up in the past, but I had a, my best friend growing up was an amazing rock climber. Uh, even before he, he really got into rock climbing, he was climbing everything. He could scale a wall. I don't even know how he would do it, but he was like a monkey at times, how easily he could climb a wall, climb a tree, you name it. And if he needed to climb something, he would climb something. And I remember that he, he got into rock climbing, which he just took off with and became uh, one of the, the world's best rock climbers in his age group, where he was literally traveling all across the world, competing in, in various competitions. And I remember I was with him when he, when he started this, when he started going to gyms and climbing, climbing indoor rock walls, and I was certainly not the climber that he was, but I had fun watching him in his element. And at one point, uh, as, as, as he just kept ascending, he was, he was doing so good, and I remember being with him at the gym and watching him take, this, take off with this knowledge and just 
be at the top of the wall in, in no time. But I remember being there when he first started. And uh, if you know anything about rock climbing, I was the, the one on the ground, what we refer to as a belayer, who is the one that is you know, managing the rope from the ground, uh, making sure that the one who is tethered to the rope climbing up doesn't fall, doesn't have an accident. And I felt a lot more comfortable with my feet on the ground. Um, I tried it a few times, and um, when I thought I must have been like a mile high, I looked down and I'm about two inches off the ground, but it was, it was not for me. But I enjoyed watching my friend Dan on the rock wall and just doing his thing. And I remember as I was on the ground and I'd be holding the rope because it got to the point where I really didn't need to do anything. I was there more for show than anything else because he was such a great climber. And I remember just as I'm standing there, I'm looking at the wall and there's all sorts of different grips on the wall, different colors. And I remember looking at some of the ones that were on the bottom. I remember thinking, why are these so low to the ground? And I got to thinking about the reason why some of the grips are so low to the ground. I quickly found out that there are all sorts of different courses that you can take as you climb up the wall to get to the top with different types of grips. And they're usually all numbered, colored a certain color so you know which course you're going to take. Whether it's yellow, all the grips would be yellow and you'd have to follow all the yellow grips, climb up to the top and, and only do those to get to the top. And I remember looking at those and being surprised at how low some of these were and, and some of the grips if if you ever go rock climbing they they get obviously easier to harder and the easier grips they it looked like a ladder i mean that the grips would be almost a foot wide and you could almost just climb right up to the top like you're climbing a ladder and the harder they go the smaller the grips get to the point where some of the grips you're only able to get maybe a couple fingers width on there and maybe a toe or two uh, on the foot grip to climb up it, just getting that much more difficult as uh, as it as it increases and my friend was really good at climbing before even going to the gym but he still started on that beginner course he still needed to learn the ropes and learn how it exactly worked out there in the gym on the rock wall but he quickly graduated to the more advanced sections of the gym and i remember thinking about that as i was preparing this message here tonight because i remember thinking it's necessary for even us as believers as much as we may think we know to start off with that first step to start off with that first course because as much as we think that we can just jump to the top and get there as quickly as as we think in our minds we can there's a first step that's there for a reason and this is christ telling us here in matthew 5 verse 3 here's the first step we're already saved but this is what the believer should look like first and he starts off with something that we we may not necessarily think all that much about but here in verse number three notice what he says he says blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, when Jesus starts off the Beatitudes by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, he's talking to every single believer. Every believer, regardless of how long you've been saved, regardless of how much that you've learned, regardless of anything, every believer would be able to relate what Jesus is saying here in verse three, because this is where every believer begins. This is your first step. This is the first stage of your salvation. Think of who Jesus is speaking to in this context. I've laid the groundwork a little bit, but I know it's been a little while. But it says back in verse number one here in Matthew chapter five that Jesus was speaking to the multitudes. It says in verse number one, it says, and seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. When he was set, his disciples came unto him. So there's a multitude of people that are there, but who made up this multitude? 
Well, for that, you have to go back one chapter to Matthew chapter 4. This is where Christ's public ministry officially began, specifically in verse number 12 in Galilee. Notice what it says in verse 12 of Matthew chapter 4. It says, Now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. And this is where everything would begin as far as Christ's public ministry is concerned. And you jump down to verse 17 of Matthew chapter 4. And we're told about the first time that Christ preached. It says, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So his ministry, his public ministry, is now in full swing. And it's these individuals, which it later goes on to mention in verse 25, that there are people from just about every region. They're in and even around Jerusalem. And verse 24 says that there were sick people. There were people that had all sorts of different kinds of diseases. Anyone that was ailing came to see Jesus, came to hear him preach. And so they were being healed and, and people were being saved as a result of the preaching of Christ here. And from, from then, he would go on to call his first disciples, and he'd go throughout Galilee, and he'd be preaching here the, kingdom, uh, the gospel of the kingdom and healing all these, in, all these different individuals. And we're never given the exact number of the people that were gathered to hear him preach, but I'm certain that many of these people believed on him. And so you have new believers here that are making up at least part of the multitude that is here in Matthew chapter 5, who are now hearing the greatest preacher preach arguably the greatest message. It is, it's almost as if Jesus led them to a saving knowledge of him and is now teaching them Christianity 101. Now that you're saved, let me show you what you should look like. Let me show you what your lives should now demonstrate. And many of, of these people that were making up this multitude, probably, again, brand new believers. So he starts with the basics, knowing that they're barely crawling at this point, if you think about them as babes in Christ. And they need this before they can ever learn to walk. And even though Christ starts at the low point where every believer can reach, even in the earliest stages of grace, it is still rich in blessings. It's not as if he's saying, okay, these are the, the bottom of the barrel Christians, and they're not reaping any blessings or anything like that. This is where everyone starts. And so you're, you're still rich in blessing as one who is poor in spirit. Uh, the word blessed is used here in verse number three, the same way it's used all the way down in verse number nine. Verse number nine says, blessed are the peacemakers. You're no less blessed in verse number three as being poor in spirit as you are as a peacemaker there in verse number nine. And there's no indication that one blessing is less significant than the next, especially since the final blessing at the very top of the ladder, if you want to look at it as ascending up the ladder, is the same that is mentioned on the first step of the ladder, being poor in spirit, that there is is the kingdom of heaven. Now think about how awesome of a blessing this is. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven to those that are poor in spirit. They're lifted up out of poverty and placed into immense wealth. They're removed from the mire and they're placed not among hired servants in the field, the Bible says, but among the princes in the kingdom of God. When we think about poverty today, there is gen genuinely not a, or generally not a, a positive attached to it. We typically don't think of those who are living in poverty as being blessed. When you think about the world standard of, of poverty and wealth. But here Jesus is saying that those who are poor in spirit are going to be blessed like royalty in his kingdom. He doesn't say blessed are the rich in spirit. But he says blessed are the poor in spirit. 
That's not to say that mature believers are not richly blessed. But Christ is showing the reality of how richly blessed every single believer is regardless of their level of maturity. My son Elijah has been saved about a month, having trusted in Christ maybe a month and a half ago. He is just as saved as the person who has been saved the longest in this church. Anyone that's been saved for 50, 60 years is just as saved as this little boy who's been saved a month and a half ago. And praise the Lord for that. Christ is here telling us that this quality of being poor in spirit is actually something that should be pursued. We think of poverty today by the world standards and we think that's not something that I want to pursue generally. But he's saying this is actually a good quality and something that every single believer should want, should want to possess, should want to pursue. Each of these beatitudes are qualities that we all should strive for as believers and they all begin with being poor in spirit as the very first notch in that ladder. I know we, we've likened it to a ladder, but think of it also as building a house. When you're building a house, you don't start the building process by building the roof first, do you? You don't even start with the walls first. What do you start with when you're building a house? The foundation. You, you, you dig the foundation. You lay the foundation. You do everything you can so that everything else is standing and resting upon something solid. So I know it's a ladder, but it's also like building a house. So this is the foundation. Everything else that's coming after being poor in spirit is only possible with this foundation of being poor in spirit. As a believer, you're never going to attain any of these other greater qualities of godliness without first beginning with poverty of spirit. The idea being uh, behind being poor in spirit is being emptied of ourselves. Uh, many times, the biggest obstacle standing between us and spiritual maturity is ourselves. Before we can fully be clothed in godliness, we must co be completely stripped of all of our uncleanness. We will never fully appreciate our Savior until we are poor in spirit. Spiritual maturity comes when we can see ourselves for who we truly are, and we can see our Savior for who He truly is. We must be open and honest about all that we lack and acknowledge that Christ alone is our sufficiency. Pride, though, likes to stand in our way. It likes to stand in our way like a brick wall. And pride blinds our eyes and convinces us that we are spiritually wealthy when, in fact, we are spiritually bankrupt. Only through sincere humility will our pride be destroyed for us to ever see the wonder of Jesus Christ and who he is and how dependent we actually are on him for every moment of our lives. Those who are not poor in spirit will look in vain to the hand of the Lord for favor. After all, they've convinced themselves that they don't need God at this point, that they're completely self-sufficient on their own. They can manage everything on their own from this point forward. And the poor in spirit are the ones who are blessed because they recognize their position with God. They recognize that they are completely dependent upon God, not only for their salvation, but for every breath that they take after that. As we take a closer look at this very first quality, I want you to notice, first of all, the blessing is for those who have no praiseworthy qualities. The blessing is for those who have no praiseworthy qualities. Look at again at verse number three. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
The blessing is for those who have no praiseworthy qualities. With regards to poverty here on earth, no one that I know makes it their life's mission to strive for poverty. In fact, it's quite the opposite. It's quite the opposite where people strive for some form of success. And that success may be different person to person, but either way, I don't think anyone's measure of success has ever ended in their mind with poverty. When they've first started off and they're coming up with a plan of what they want to do and who they want to be when they grow up, no one sets it to their mind, at least not that I, no one that I know of, that says, I want to be poor and have nothing and live on the street. No one sets that off as their goal. So as far as poverty is concerned, and the worldly view of poverty, it's not looked upon as a praiseworthy quality. Think about it. You offer congratulations to people who receive a promotion at work. We bring a housewarming gift to those who just move into a new house. When you walk through the greeting card aisle at any store, you're never going to find a card congratulating someone for finally becoming poor. You're never going to find it. And yet Christ says that those that are poor in spirit, those who recognize that they're nothing and that Christ their Savior is everything, these believers, he says, are the ones that are blessed. Being poor in nearly every other area of your life is not a praiseworthy quality. But in our position before Christ, it is a blessing, the Bible says. It's not going to get you any sort of praise from men. You're not going to receive any gifts. No one may send you a card. But there is a great blessing for those believers who can come before God and confess their own deficiencies and His, God's, all-sufficiency. When you think about it, it makes sense that this would be the case. Because God's design is that his grace, his power, his all-sufficiency be seen and clearly seen. And it is seen the greatest among the poorest. Those that are poor in spirit that are able to see without the blinders on, they're able to see themselves for who they truly are, like they're staring themselves in a mirror. Now, what, is it, what does a mirror do? Mirrors generally don't lie, right? They reveal the true nature of who you are. You can hide yourself in, in all sorts of different things, but when you look at yourself in the mirror, it's pretty revealing, isn't it? And those who can look at themselves in a mirror and see who they really are, and when they come to the end of themselves and they know who they are in Christ, the grace of God is seen that much clearer. Those who are poor in spirit are those who see themselves and are quick to acknowledge that they deserved none of God's favor. They realize that God has been far better to them than what they've ever deserved. They feel blessed and blessed beyond than what words could ever describe because they know what they truly deserve and it wasn't God's favor, it wasn't God's mercy, it wasn't God's grace, it certainly wasn't salvation and eternal security with the promise of heaven. They know they deserved eternal condemnation and judgment. And when they realize that about themselves and how good God has been in spite of who they are and what they only deserve, 
They can realize how poor in spirit they are, but they realize how all-sufficient our God is and whom they've trusted. And praise the Lord for that. And God is saying, blessed is that person. In Luke chapter 5, we have a, a glimpse of this in the life of Peter. Peter recognized this about himself, that he was poor in spirit as he had an encounter with Christ while he was fishing. Christ had told him to launch out into the deep and let down his nets after Peter had been fishing all night and caught nothing. And Peter, who was the skilled fisherman, knew that the fish weren't biting that night. In fact, he told Jesus, he says, listen, in his own way, we've been fishing all night and we've caught nothing. No offense to you. I'm the fisherman. I grew up on the sea. I know when the fish are biting and when they're not, and they're not biting. But because it's you, we'll go. And the Bible actually says, instead of him letting down the nets, plural, which Jesus asked him to do, he let down one net. Why? Because the expectation was what he thought he already knew. We're not catching a thing. I'm not going through the effort to let down every single net to, to show Jesus what I already know is going to be seen, that we're going to raise these nets and they're going to be empty because that's what we found that these fish aren't biting tonight. So he let down one net. And what happened? All of a sudden, fish showed up, right? So much so, the Bible says, that the nets were beginning to break and the ship was actually sinking. And at this point, it hit Peter like the two-by-four to the back of the head that he needed so often. I've got a, a bruise back here because I need it like every day too. It hit Peter that he was in the presence of the Almighty God. And notice how he responds to the situation in verse number 8 of Luke chapter 5. It says, When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Every true believer will admit that he is a sinner, but not every believer is broken by his sin to the point where he falls to the ground and cries out in shame before God because of his unworthiness. He knew he wasn't even worthy to be in Christ's presence. And so he said, depart from me. I'm not worthy to be even around you because of how sinful and wretched I am. Humility is not looked upon as a praiseworthy quality because it involves looking less upon yourself and greater upon someone else. Every once in a while, we may be hit with some realization of our sin and all that Christ has done to pay the price of our eternal damnation and we'll fall before him and confess that we're not worthy of his grace and we're not worthy of his atonement and we're not worthy of the salvation that he has so freely offered. And I'm not suggesting that we should from henceforth live forever in deep sadness and grief over our sin and sorrow for everything that Christ has done on our behalf by making salvation possible. But we should live with a recognition that Christ is our everything and without him we are nothing. We're nothing. Those who are poor in spirit are those who recognize that they don't just need Christ for their eternal salvation at one point in their life, but that they need him every moment of every day for the rest of eternity. And what a comforting thought it is to know that Christ is looking to bless those who recognize how much they need him. He says the poor in spirit, 
Those who recognize they can't do it. Those who recognize that they're unworthy. Those who recognize that they are worthy of nothing but damnation. He says, these are the ones that are blessed because they know how much they need me. What a comforting thought. These are the believers that Christ is looking for. Just as a doctor is looking to help all those that are sick, Christ seeks to help all those who, knew, who know that they need him. Blessed are the poor in spirit, he says. And notice second, the formation of the character. The formation of the character. So those that are blessed have no praiseworthy qualities, but notice second, the formation of the character. Again, verse 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Everything starts with the recognition of our own spiritual poverty. This is where character is formed. The believer that is described in this verse was spiritually poor. And think about that, because what does a sinner bring to the table other than our sin? What can we possibly offer to God? Was God lacking something in any sort of way that we supply to him to make him complete? No. We don't bring anything to the table. We don't offer anything that is good. We don't do anything to complete the transaction that he is making with us. He does everything. It is a completely one-sided deal. And he's done it all for us. Our salvation is not valued in light of how much we have sinned, it is only in the working of Jesus Christ and only by the grace of God. So as far as what we bring to the table, we are poor because we contribute absolutely nothing to our eternal salvation. If we were ever to pay God back for his precious gift of salvation, we would be up against an insurmountable mountain of debt. You'd never pay it off, not an entire lifetime, not in all eternity. It would never be paid off. Every one of us are poor in comparison to what God offers. And when you think about it, this should be incredibly humiliating. Humiliating. Because there are some people who are poor because of circumstances that were beyond their control. Some people poor here on earth because of circumstances that were beyond their control. But we are poor because of our own personal sin. We have no one else to blame but ourselves for the wretched condition that we stand in before our Savior. However long we've lived apart from our Savior, we have lived for ourselves. And no matter when it was that you got saved, you lived in some form of riotous living and you wasted the blessings that God had given and that is why those that are poor in spirit are on their way to be counted among those who mourn, as it says there in verse number four, the very next verse, because they finally recognize who they are and how good God has been to them. And the next thing they can do, which they can't help, is to mourn. The problem, though, is that most people don't know that they're spiritually poor. And honestly, many of them don't even care to know. It's too scary a thought for many people to accept because it forces them to acknowledge that they are absolutely nothing. And this is why so many people remain unsaved because they fail to acknowledge their own miserable and their own lost condition, choosing rather to believe that they are safe in their own works. And some people get so carried away by their own blindness that they actually think that 
God, um, they, they actually thank God that they're not like other people. In Luke chapter 18, we get a picture of this in verses 10 through 13. As Jesus taught a parable, it's the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Maybe you're familiar with it, but here is, is what Jesus taught. In Luke, 10, Luke 18, 10 through 13, he said, Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It's scary to think how a person can easily become a slave to sin, but also get so entrenched in that sin that he is actually content being a slave to that sin. Just like the Pharisee who is thanking God that he's not like others. This is the sad spiritual condition of the majority of the people in the world today. And as a result, what we find is that wherever the true condition of man's spirituality is found out, it has been revealed only through the Spirit of God. Jesus said in John 12, 32, that he will draw all men unto him. And know how he does this? He does this through his own personal revelation, either through creation or through his written word and his preached word. And the Holy Spirit will reveal to all men the reality of God and their need for him. But not all men choose to believe in their need for God. And it's amazing how God works for him. Revealing himself to us must bring us to the realization that we need him, which means that we have to acknowledge our hopelessly lost condition. You would think that that would be an easy thing for mankind to acknowledge, considering the fact that every one of us has been born dead in sins and every one of us were born on our way to hell. It would be like, Telling a homeless person, um, be like a homeless person not knowing he was homeless. For a person who is dying and on their way to hell, not knowing that they're dying and on their way to hell. It'd be like a starving man not knowing that he's hungry. How is it that the unsaved don't realize that they're unsaved? How is it through everything that God has revealed that they can't see that there is a God and that there's only one way to heaven and it's only through Jesus Christ? When the word of God is being preached, it's been preached for several thousand years now. How is it that they don't see this? There are millions still, if not billions, of unsaved people in the world today who do not recognize their lost condition, or at least they refuse to admit that they're lost. And you'd think that based on the fact of, of man's unsaved condition, that soul winning would be incredibly easy, right? There's unsaved people all around, and generally people know that they're unsaved. You'd think it'd be easy that, that people would be getting saved left and right when the gospel is preached. And that's not to say that people aren't getting saved today because honestly, there are people getting saved today in numbers that are greater than what we've ever seen. But it's just that believers seem to have to do a whole lot of convincing before the unsaved accept that they're lost. You'd think that it should be as easy as holding up a mirror to every single unsaved person. And that that would be enough to convince them of their unsaved condition. And then you walk them through the message of the gospel and then be saved just like that. But what we find is that mankind has convinced himself that he is good. And this 
idea has become the hardest obstacle to overcome than even our own sin. Most people will admit that they're a sinner. In fact, I don't think I've ever, in all the times that I've gone witnessing, I've ever had any trouble convincing any person that I've talked to, whether knocking on their door or just talking on the streets, I've never had an issue convincing a person that they're a sinner. Never once. Everyone is going to admit that they've done something wrong. Even if they all admit that they've done only one thing wrong, they all admit that they're sinners. Never had an issue convincing a person that they're a sinner. I'll tell you where I've had an issue. I've had an issue convincing someone that they're not good. And that's the biggest hurdle for the unsaved to overcome. They admit that they're a sinner, but because they believe that they're generally more good than they are bad, that they're okay. It's not difficult to convince people that they're sinners. It's difficult to convince them that they're not good. And those who are poor in spirit have already accepted their poverty and have understood one important truth. When he used to think that he knew everything there is to know, he now knows that he knows nothing. And that the one thing he, he does realize is the truth that he needs Jesus Christ for everything. However painful the result of poverty or of spirit may be, it is the result of God's truth. And with the foundation of the truth being laid, all other truth can be added to that. And the person will abide in God's truth as they continue to work their way up this spiritual ladder. In a world that stresses the importance of a high self-image and a high self-worth, God is actually telling us that the opposite is necessary. We need to break down this high view of ourselves in order for us to realize our true condition before God and accept that we are nothing and that Christ is everything. My prayer for myself is that I would never think of myself more highly than I ought, but that I would always have a true assessment of who I am before Christ. And as painful as it is, I would rather always be looking in the mirror, having every ounce of my life under God's microscope so that I always keep the proper perspective on how I should be living for Jesus Christ, my Savior. The more you build yourself up, the more you're prone to fall. And the older I get, I found that falling hurts more. And plus, Jesus said that the believer who's poor in spirit is blessed. Who wouldn't want to be blessed? What many don't realize is that while being poor in spirit empties ourselves of all that is prideful and all that is self-absorbing, it opens ourselves up to receive more of God's blessing. Whenever Ruthie makes cookies, brownies, or anything of the sort, and she offers one to the kids, you can have one, she'll say. Which cookie do you think all the kids are vying for? The biggest one, right? They're looking at every single cookie that's there, and they're, they're scanning each one, you know, they're, they're measuring each one to see, okay, which one's widest, which one's biggest, which one has, you know, the most M&Ms with chocolate chip cookies in it. And it's like, just pick one already. They're all the same. But one of them is inevitably bigger than the rest. And they're all vying for that one cookie. Why? Because they know they're going to get just a little more enjoyment because of how much bigger that cookie is. Many believers are settling for the small sample size of God's blessings because 
we're not acknowledging our own spiritual poverty instead of opening our mouths wide which means emptying yourself of all of your pride and everything that is self-absorbing and self-serving and allowing it to be filled with all of God's goodness. Without realizing it, we're essentially telling God that we're full. No thanks, God. I've got everything I need. And we don't need anything more from him when in reality there is no ever getting enough of God's blessings. I feel like we get glimpses of this in our lives where we see areas here and there where we're living like we're poor in spirit. Much like what we saw in Peter's life in Luke chapter 5 when he realized the power of Christ after catching all of those fish. Every once in a while we realize our own spiritual poverty. Sometimes it happens where we hear about someone else, someone else who is just kind of cut down on their knees, fall to the ground, and, and we see that, wow, that person was in their prime, everything was going great, and the Lord just pulled the rug off from underneath them. And it kind of hits us thinking, maybe I should be doing something different. What's preventing that from happening to me? Am I just one more prideful thing away from the Lord humbling me? And so we start thinking and reassessing our situation, and maybe there's some changes that we need to make. And sometimes we are faced with something that destroys our pride and hits us personally and brings us to the end of ourselves and we can't even bear to lift our faces from the ground because of how humiliated we are. We get so broken that there is not one single thing about ourselves that we may look to and feel good about. We find ourselves echoing the sentiment of the Apostle Paul from Romans 7:18, where he says, for in me, he says, for I know that in me that is in my flesh, someone finished a thought dwelleth no good thing dwelleth no good thing he says for in me that is in my flesh he says I know dwelleth no good thing when you feel that low know that you are actually in a better condition than you previously were it is far better to be conscious of your spiritual poverty because only then will you be able to add to your faith the peace and the confidence you need in God to trust that he is your all. Pray that God would keep you humble. Pray that God would keep you low. Pray that God would always allow you to be ready to be filled with more of his blessings. Pray that he would keep you dead to yourself and alive unto him so that he might be your all in all. It may not seem like a big deal to be poor in spirit, but this is the very foundation of the Beatitudes for a very specific reason. We may read over it very quickly just to move on to all the rest, but you can't skip that all-important first step. And notice third, the praise and the blessing of the poor in spirit. The praise and the blessing of the poor in spirit. Verse 3 again, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The praise and the blessing of the poor in spirit. As to the blessing, we pointed out a few weeks ago that it is not a future blessing, but a present blessing. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, the Bible says. The king of the heavenly kingdom reigns over the poor, and he will take care of them. Those who enter the eternal kingdom of the king of kings receive his eternal blessings. For those who are poor in spirit, giving God praise is never a struggle for them because they already acknowledge that he is their everything. So it's just the natural inclination of all those who are poor in spirit because they recognize how little self-worth they have in themselves. 
and how their worth is only in God. The place of lowliness, the place of humility is what they are used to so they can easily and proudly submit themselves under God's divine leadership. And when you start to break it down, it makes sense that the poor in spirit would be rejoicing in this specific blessing of receiving the kingdom of heaven. It is the poor in spirit who, uh, who fully recognize just what it cost to make the kingdom of heaven real and accessible for them. The self-righteous and the proud do not, appro- do not appreciate such a blessing. And such blessings end up being cast as like, almost like casting pearls before swine. The poor in spirit recognize that their Savior poured out his blood for the price of their eternal redemption. And he did everything possible to make their salvation possible. So the thought of receiving the kingdom of heaven is the utmost joy for them. For they recognize how unworthy and how undeserving they are of a priceless gift as this. While the world is out looking for a whole bunch of self-sufficient leaders, God is looking for the humble. One of the final lessons that Jesus taught his disciples before dying on the cross was that of being a true servant. In John chapter 13, Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, and I want you to listen to what he said. In John 13, verses 13 through 17, he said, "'Ye call me Master and Lord,' And ye say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. The time will come when all the fame and fortune of this world will fade and reveal its true worth. And then the poor in spirit will be seen to have received the greatest gift of all, the kingdom of heaven. While this ungodly world may look upon the poor in spirit as degrading, God seals them as the recipients of his eternal blessings. And all of this is for the present life in which believers will mourn, in which they'll need to be comforted, in which they will hunger and thirst after righteousness' sake. All the wealth and all the treasure of the earth, all of it will pale in comparison to the blessings that will be received by the poor in spirit. Would you bow with me in prayer tonight? Lord, thank you for opening your word to us here this evening. Lord, thank you for giving us a reminder of how humble we should be, especially as we consider who we are and who you are to us. Lord, none of us are here and can stand before you and say that we are deserving of all that you have given to us. Lord, for you have certainly not treated us according to what our iniquities have deserved. You have been merciful, compassionate. Lord, you have been long-suffering toward us. And it's only because of that, Lord, that we are not consumed, that we're able to be here today. But Lord, even more than that, you have been gracious by giving us the precious gift of your only begotten Son, that through faith alone in him and his finished work, we might be the recipients of everlasting life in your presence, in the glories of heaven. So, Lord, as we come before you, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you have been 
far better to us than what we deserve. We thank you, Lord, that you have loved us when we were unworthy of all love. And Lord, I pray that as we go on to live our lives from this point forward, that this quality of being poor in spirit would be something that we would strive to maintain and that we would see to it that nothing stands between ourselves and our wonderful Savior. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.